Welcome, everyone. I'm Alex Jones, director of the Shorenstein Center, and uh, this is a good day for prognosticating and hand wringing and thinking, thinking, thinking <laughs> about uh, about what the election means and what has been happening and where we go from here. Um, you know, Renee Loth, who is the editor of the Boston Globe editorial page, is probably one of the most qualified people in the country to talk about campaign advertising. She was, in the, in the Globe, were the first to create uh, an ad watch in which political advertising was analyzed, uh, not just for its factuality, but for its uh, message, which was calculated to be um, factual, but not necessarily truthful. Uh, the, the situation has been made more complicated this election because of the Supreme Court's decision that allows people who are not even accountable to the campaigns to put their own advertising on, on the air. Mark McKinnon was here a week or two ago and talked about how this is effectively taking campaigns out of the hands of the candidates themselves in many respects. Um, but it's a big issue. It's a big issue has been an issue, of course, campaign advertising has, but it's an even bigger issue because of the Supreme Court rules. So we uh, welcome you, Renee, to uh, to sort of give us a what's what and uh, help us understand where we go from here. Welcome. Thanks very much. Uh, um, I just wanted to say thank you for having me today. This is the most hazardous duty that any political journalist could possibly draw, speaking on actually election day in the afternoon because, you know, anything I say um, uh, can and probably will be disproved in about eight hours. So um, I'm not going to do too much uh, prognosticating. Um, what I thought we would do is um, review some of the low points of the, um, the midterm elections, the most expensive midterms in the history of the country, some four billion dollars, incredibly, will be spent on this uh, campaign. Um, and because, as Alex said, of the Supreme Court decision back in January, the Citizens United decision, which um, equated corporations with people and speech and money with speech, um, uh, there is a flood of um, campaign ads uh, this year. The majority of them are negative. In fact, I did write a little something about this. Um, there's an organization called the Campaign Media Analysis Group. Um, and it estimates that negative attacks account for 60% of all ads, but 89% of all third-party ads. In other words, um, the anonymity that was conferred upon um, these uh, shadowy nonprofit third-party groups by the um, Supreme Court decision has given a kind of protective shield to uh, to these ads. You know, they can be more negative and more nasty because of the anonymity. It's a little bit like the um, you know, comments on, um, you know, on, online. When you, whenever I write a story and I look at the comments, they're just flaming because they're anonymous and people are protected by that. Or a little bit like the, um, uh, when you're driving your car, the protective windshield allows for more use of the middle finger than would otherwise. If you were standing in, right in line next to somebody, you probably wouldn't say quite the same things or use quite the same gestures. Similarly, <laughs> campaign ads, uh, those that are that are presented by uh, anonymous um, uh, third-party groups are even more negative than, than those of the candidates, although the ones I'm showing here are um, 
directly attributed to the candidates and are not part of those shadow, shadowy third-party ads. So um, it's even worse than what you're going to be seeing here. Um, as Alex said, you know, a little history. I did uh, start in 1992 um, the ad watch um, for the Boston Globe in which we analyzed um, campaign ads for their, uh, their accuracy and their effectiveness. Um, and uh, we were the first, you know, because of the uh, New Hampshire primary, which uh, is always a very big thing for the Boston Globe, you know, because we get, it's our moment in the sun as well. Um, most of the uh, ads early on in the campaign um, were analyzed by the Globe. There were a few other newspapers that, that picked up the ad watch concept later that year. I must have done at least 100 um, ad watches uh, in the New Hampshire primary alone, uh, partly because the um, uh, airtime in New Hampshire and Channel 9 primarily in those days uh, is kind of is quite inexpensive and so there were a lot of people on the ballot there were very low bars to getting on the ballot in the primary in New Hampshire and lots of uh, campaign ads and you know I wanted to sort of you know, not just review the ads of the front runners so um, yeah, there were at least 100 probably 150 <laughs> that I did during that that time in those days um, when uh, journalists would try to track down the negative attack ads. It was a difficult thing to do in the days before YouTube, the days before the internet. Um, campaigns would not provide and would sometimes not even acknowledge that they had produced a negative campaign ad. Um, it was kind of a cat and mouse game. I would go home, set my VCR, you know, hope that the negative ad that I had heard somebody had, um, you know, had broadcast would, would be on the TV and I'd catch it um, up there in New Hampshire where I was basically living. Um, and I also had a friend at WBZ who was in the advertising department and would call me up when, when there'd be a, you know, here's a guy got a hot one for you and I'd zoom down there and, you know, he'd show it to me and I would bring a globe photographer in to catch an image off the TV screen so that we could show it. And, you know, now, I mean, not only is it available everywhere, but the campaigns, you know, promote and advertise their negative, they, they crow about their negative ads. Um, the first one I wanted to play for you um, I found out about because um, the the campaign sent me a press release saying uh, it, it's a it's a radio ad um, attacking uh, Congressman Jim McGovern in uh, Worcester in the third congressional district and the press release says conservative action group releases scathing radio ad against Rep Jim McGovern I almost thought at first that it was a press release from Jim McGovern complaining about you know the scathing uh, <laughs> ad that this conservative attack group had had uh, you know broadcast, but no, it was the, it was the group itself um, wanting to uh, promote its negative attack. Um, this ad that I'm about to play is a radio ad again. Um, uh, is funded by an organization called a group called the Western Representation PAC. It's a political action committee, um, old fashioned in a way uh, this year. Uh, based in Nevada, that was started um, in order to challenge Harry Reid um, on the on the ballot out there. But they decided they would throw in a few, you know, Massachusetts races as well to target. Um, in addition to Jim McGovern, they've also run ads against Barney Frank this year. Um, you know, it's not a very big or wealthy pack. Um, and when I went on to the campaign finance reports, I could not find a single contributor from Massachusetts. Much, much less from McGovern's district. Um, but, you know, this is a, a phenomenon that we're seeing a lot of this campaign year, which is the national, sort of nationalizing of local campaigns. 
Um, there's a lot of national attention and national money on what would otherwise be sort of Massachusetts-based um, campaigns. Uh, even our ballot questions are attracting a lot of uh, national money and national attention from uh, from unions and corporations and some of these PACs. So this one I want to play for you about uh, Jim McGovern, which I think is so unfair and uh, manipulative. Uh, is an example of that. Let's see if I can do this. Okay, so it's radio, so you can always close your eyes. Arrogant politicians are bankrupting our country with policies that ignore the will of the people. Washington ignores our most basic laws, and they usually lie about it when they come home to campaign. But Jim McGovern admits it. I think the Constitution is wrong. Jim, you swore an oath to defend the Constitution, but now you say... The Constitution is wrong. Jim McGovern is the most radical man in Congress. He keeps taking more and more of your money to do the bidding of Nancy Pelosi. He authored the bill to raise the debt ceiling, and he abuses his position on the powerful rules committee to force through one unconstitutional bill after another. Jim McGovern is so radical that he has fostered friendships with socialist third world dictators, and he's been arrested twice in the last five years. No, Jim, you're wrong. And on November 2nd, we the people People are going to vote you out. A for by the Western Representation Pack, which is responsible for the content of this ad, not authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. Don't you love that dramatic music yeah. that comes up in the background? Um, there are several things to say about this ad. Um, one is, uh, you know, Alex and I were talking <coughs> before about um, this maybe counterintuitive um, uh, fact that um, a lot of these negative ads do have factual content in them, and a lot of it, and maybe more so than the sort of gauzy platitudes that you see in the positive campaign ads. Um, but what I think all four of these, just by coincidence um, that I chose for you today, um, do is take these this factual information way out of context. Um, this is an ad that uses McGovern's own words. I mean, he obviously said, the Constitution is, I think the Constitution is wrong. But of course, the ad never plays you the full quote. Um, they only use the six offending words. Um, and they neglect to say, by the way, that the two arrests, um, you know, that uh, McGovern is so radical that he's been arrested twice in the last five years, um, were both for um, demonstrations against the Darfur genocide um, in, um, in front of the Sudanese embassy, where he was protesting with many other members of Congress, um, many of whom uh, were also arrested. So, you know, no, they don't say that because, you know, they want you to think that it's DWI or, you know, breaking and entering or oh, what else. Um, no, it was in uh, protesting Darfur. Um, I called the director of this pack and interviewed him, and I said, you know, isn't this unfair? You're taking his, his quote out of context. I'll read you the full quote in a minute. And um, he said, no, you know, the sentiment is there, the same sentiment, um, and we, we can't afford a whole big five-minute ad, you know, that would <laughs> give us time to give you the whole quote. So, you know, no, we don't think it's out of context at all. And he also said that they did, in fact, have um, campaign contributions from Massachusetts, but they were so small that they didn't meet the $200 reporting threshold, and so <laughs> just have to take his word for it that there were um, folks from Massachusetts who were funding this PAC. Um, uh, what McGovern actually said, uh, you know, the irony here is that he was speaking at a uh, campaign debate about the Citizens United decision 
and why it's so difficult to get campaign finance reform legislation passed in this uh, in this atmosphere of uh, the current Supreme Court. Um, and he said, we have a lousy Supreme Court decision, and a lot of the campaign finance bills that we've passed have been declared unconstitutional by the Supreme Court. I think the Constitution is wrong. I don't think that money is the same thing as human beings, and I don't think that money equals free speech. Well, it seems obvious that he wanted to say, I think the court is wrong. Um, but even if he did say, I think the Constitution is wrong, um, in this context, it, it makes you know, so much more sense. And um, the, the uh, quote just repeated over and over again with this ominous music, even though these are facts, uh, things that he actually said, I think, are just unfairly uh, manipulated and distorted in this, in this ad. Um, as I said a, a second ago, it's a good example of uh, nationalizing these local races. Um, <coughs> the, the money and attention that's poured into Massachusetts this year, I think, will have a, um, I don't know if you'd call it a distorting effect exactly, but will have an effect on some of the uh, races. Um, this started with Scott Brown, um, who's, uh, you know, who was all alone running in January with it was the only election that was going on that year, that day, and there was plenty of um, space and um, for money to flow into that race. And there's a lot of competition today, um, but thanks to the Citizen United uh, decision, there's also a lot more money. So I think we will see um, the effects of, um, you know, interests that are not from Massachusetts, who do not necessarily share this state's values, um, you know, doing a lot to try to affect the outcome of the race. Uh, especially in high-profile races like um, Barney Franks, um, you know he's a he's a big target. Um, he you know authored the financial reform laws. Um, he's you know he's acerbic and you know uh, some people don't like his personality. Plus he's you know actually getting some things done. Um, and so I think um, <coughs> there's been a lot of money pouring poured into the campaign against him on behalf of this you know relatively unknown businessman, um, Sean Bielat, who's running against him. Um, and, and what I've noticed in this, in this year is that the Republican National Congressional Campaign Committee, which is funding a lot of these ads, um, has a kind of template, a kind of cookie cutter that they apply to um, all the different races. Um, doesn't seem to matter whether it's you know, Michigan or Alaska or whatever, Massachusetts. Um, if you voted for that health care law, voted for Obamacare, um, you're going to have an ad running against you that makes this point about the, um, the health care law. Um, there's a couple of them. One point that they make over and over is that um, you, you know, this guy voted for uh, gutting Medicare by $500 billion, um, $500 million. Um, and yeah, $500 million, gutting it gutting Medicare. This gets the seniors all riled up, of course, but it, you know, really isn't entirely true because the, first of all, the, the bill uh, reduces growth in Medicare, doesn't cut the existing Medicare, but would reduce growth in Medicare over the next 10 years, you know, not all at once, 50, 50 <coughs> billion dollars a year. Um, so, you know, that's not exactly accurate. Um, the other thing that, that I've seen in a bunch of ads, and I'm going to show you one from Sharon Angle, who's running against Harry Reid in um, Nevada, um, that suggests that the new health care law will use taxpayer dollars to give Viagra prescriptions to sex offenders. 
Um, here we go with Sharon. Uh, that is the clue. the clue. Okay, do that, and then just do this, right? Yep. Here we go. I'm Sharon Angle, and I approve this motion. Want to know just how out of touch Harry Reid is? Spending $787 billion on a stimulus that failed is a start. Or Reid voting to give illegal aliens special tax breaks and social security benefits is another big clue. But here's the kicker. Reid actually voted to use taxpayer dollars to pay for Viagra, for convicted child molesters and sex offenders. <laughs> what else right did there. you ever need to know about Harry Reid? Okay, the same ominous, you know, <laughs> uh, music in the background. Um, what's disturbing about this ad is that the vote that is, um, that is, uh, you, you briefly see the, the site for the vote that she talks about. You know, Harry Reid voted to give Viagra with taxpayer dollars to, um, and that little site um, was one of a series of Republican amendments to the health care law near the end of the debate where they were just day after day flooding the, um, the docket with amendments that they never expected to see pass um, that would, uh, well, first of all, delay, they were trying to delay the vote on the health care law, but also um, these were, were uh, um, amendments that they didn't expect to pass, didn't really maybe even want to pass, um, but were, were put up there so that they could make these ads in the fall. In other words, um, uh, there's nothing in the legislation that supports or requires or even mentions Viagra, okay? But they threw this this amendment up saying, you know, um, you know, sex offenders shall be banned from being able to buy Viagra, and the Democrats voted against it, and now they have this opportunity to put this ad up <coughs> against Harry Reid and anybody else who voted against that amendment. And there's there were several uh, dozens of them um, put up at the end of the. Um, healthcare debate. Um, you know, it's a kind of a straw man that they created so that they would be able to use it um, in ads in November. Um, now, I just want to show that the unfair ads are um, possibly the only thing in Washington today that is truly bipartisan. Um, and that, uh, you know, the Democrats are not above uh, using uh, manipulative or distorted. Um, facts um, in order to run negative ads. So I'm going to show you what I think is probably the, the, the most unfair um, ad of the season, which is from Florida um, by Congressman Alan Grayson against um, Taliban Dan. Uh, there we go, Taliban Dan. I'm Congressman Alan Grayson, and I approve this message. Religious fanatics try to take away our freedom in Afghanistan, in Iran, and right here in Central Florida. Why submit yourself to your own husband? Daniel Webster wants to impose his radical fundamentalism on us. She should submit to me. That's in the Bible. Webster tried to deny battered women medical care and the right to divorce their abusers. Submit to me. He wants to force raped women to bear the child. Submit to me. Taliban Dan Webster hands off our bodies and our laws. Okay, well, um, the, the thing that's so upsetting about this, uh, although, uh, you know, much of it is accurate. The, certainly he's pro-life. He believes, you know, that, that abortion should not be available even for victims of rape and incest. I mean, those, those things that flash up there are accurate depictions of his record. But he never said um, 
wives should submit to me in an approving way. Um, in fact, that quote was taken from a, a Christian conference that he spoke in in Nashville in the previous year, um, where he was cautioning husbands, in fact, to avoid using that passage in the Bible in their, in their Bible studies. He says, um, in the unedited quote, he says, don't pick the ones that say she should submit to me. Um, find a verse. I have verses for my wife. He's, you know, telling people they should, you know, understand the Bible, read the Bible, pick a verse. Um, I have verses for my wife. Don't pick the ones that say she should submit to me. That's in the Bible. But pick the ones you're supposed to do. So instead, love your wife as opposed to wives submit to your own husbands. Okay, so is this not 180 degrees opposite of what the guy said? Um, and, and to me, you know, it's... Um, you know, it's just so over the top that you, you have to wonder whether it you know, has any effectiveness. But the first time I saw it, I thought, what a fabulous ad. You know, they, they've got this, this uh, you know, crazy pro-lifer, um, you know, hoist on his own petard and with his own words. And, you know, it takes a little bit of research to realize that it's really entirely not true. And... Um, you know, there are a number of fact-check organizations now, um, factcheck.org and the Sunlight Foundation and a number of them who, who do really wonderful work. Um, and, you know, I've taken the little, you know, rudimentary ad watches that I did, you know, in 92 and have really brought them to a science and they're incredibly necessary and important. But they this year they can't keep up with the volume. I mean, there was so much going on. There were so many millions of ads, um, millions of dollars, billions flowing into the ads that even these, these great sites, you know, can't keep up with it. So, um, you know, one of the hangovers from the early days of the ad watch are those, um, those sightings that you see up on the screen, you know, where they have the quotes and the sites, and, and um, it's supposed to give the ad a kind of gloss of veracity and, and um, you know, and authenticity. And often and, and indeed those those facts are facts and you can check them out and, and they but they give the ad more uh, respectability than they deserve because the facts are true <coughs> they've been badly distorted or manipulated um, so for sheer weirdness I thought I would show one for final ad um, this is an ad that Democratic of uh, the Democrat again Jack Conway um, is running against Rand Paul in Kentucky. You know, Rand Paul is the son of Ron Paul, and he's um, a libertarian, um, and he's running uh, uh, in a very tight race in <coughs> Kentucky. Um, and that is here. Here we go. I'm Jack Conway. I approve this message. Why was Rand Paul a member of a secret society that called the Holy Bible a hoax that was banned for mocking Christianity and Christ? Why did Rand Paul once tie a woman up, tell her to bow down before a false idol, and say his god was Aqua Buddha? Why does Rand Paul now want to end all federal faith-based initiatives and even end the deduction for religious charities? Why are there so many questions about Rand Paul? Okay, well, one of the things I love about that is the sort of Asian music in the background, you know, that sort of like Aqua Buddha music. You know, it's supposed to make you feel like he's some, um, you know, strange, uh, you know, hippie that Ken Kentuckians uh, wouldn't uh, respect. You know, once again, here's an example of um, uh, a sort of mashup between 
the, the true facts, um, his support to end faith-based initiatives, you know, because no surprise there, you know, he thinks it's a waste of government money and everything's a waste of government money to this guy. So, you know, these are all true facts, his true positions, um, and yet they, they sort of mash them up with something that happened, you know, when he was a college student, um, you know, 30 years prior, um, and um, which is really kind of, a, um, you know, over the top and unfair uh, attack on, on him. Um, you know, the, the woman in question who was tied up and made to bow down before Aqua Buddha um, says in the article that they got this from, um, a Washington Post article and a Vanity Fair article, that it was, you know, it was a stunt, it was a joke, it was sort of like uh, a, um, you know, fraternity, a sorority or fraternity hazing, you know, it was not something that that was abusive, where she felt, you know, um, that she was made to bow down um, to Aqua Buddha. But it plays on, um, you know, Kentucky's a very religious state, and it, it manages to raise questions about uh, Rand Paul and whether he's uh, really representing uh, good, God-fearing Kentuckians. Um, you know, every year there are questions about these negative campaign ads, and are they effective? Before um, you leave that one, I'm just yeah. in the lower right-hand corner. I'm lower sorry. Right. I can't get my eyes. Rand Paul off. uses aqua aftershave. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what they're linking you to, but I don't. Uh, it may be worse than what you're talking about. Well, well you know, I don't like Buddha. I actually looked at that. Okay. It's another mashup. I mean, you know, a lot of people do um, uh, parodies, and when you when you go to YouTube, you get every kind of parody, and that's one I think um, there. Um, so we won't look at that. So you know, um, there's a lot of debate about whether these ads are effective, whether they are we through with the yes. Why don't you come around here? Okay, thank you. Um, and I, you know, very much like to have a discussion about this and hear what you think as well, and, and any questions that you might have. Because um, I'm just going to wrap up here by saying that. Uh, every year there's, there's a lot of debate about whether these ads are effective. Do they have the effect of depressing turnout? Um, have, do they know the opposite, have the effect of exciting turnout um, and getting people to come out? Um, there have been studies on all sides of this. You know, there was a famous <coughs> Iyengar, I can't remember his first name now, um, study, right, which um, found that these negative ads, you know, further polarize and depress turnout. Others have said no. Um, on the media, that, that radio show on PRI over the weekend, they're always looking for something counterintuitive. And so over the weekend, they had a, a report saying that um, this year in particular, uh, the, the sort of arms race of um, campaign ads had, had reached a sort of stage of mutually assured destruction um, where, you know, they were kind of even, the Republicans and the Democrats, and it wasn't going to have an effect one way or the other. Um, you know, neither side would benefit because they're pretty much equal. Um, I, you know, I sort of reject that. I think that if these ads weren't effective, if they didn't make a difference, um, you know, people wouldn't be, the candidates wouldn't be spending millions and billions of dollars to put them on the air. Um, and one thing that I know for sure is that um, whether they help one side or hurt the other or depress turnout or excite it, they do have the effect of demeaning our debate, coarsening the debate, um, and um, making a lot of people feel that, you know, they're all equally corrupt and, you know, voting is just a sucker's game. And I just have to think that that's, that's not good for democracy. So. 
Let me, let me ask the first uh, question and we'll open it up. Is there any evidence that exposing a, an ad that has distorted fact, in other words, using factcheck.org or AdWatch and highlighting the fact that this ad has been run by my opponent and it is a lying ad and he has lied in it, therefore he is a liar, mm. does that kind of ad also work? Is there a jujitsu that can be done with these ads yeah. in a way? Um, I'm not going to be able to come up with an actual example, but I know that um, <coughs> from the days in 92 when I first started these ad watches to the present, um, many times the quotes from my ad watches where I would say, you know, this is this is inaccurate, would appear in one of the other candidates, you know, one of the opposing candidates ad a couple of days later, you know, Boston Globe calls this inaccurate, you know, um, and that's, you still see quite a bit of that. And um, I also think that uh, factcheck.org and others have had the, um, have actually forced candidates to take their ads down if they've been inaccurate. If there's enough bad publicity, a candidate will just take the ad down. Um, you know, usually the damage has been done by that time, you know, that the, the, the seed of doubt has been planted or the, you know, the negative um, charge has, 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 been, has been struck. And I'm not sure how effective the, the countervailing answer. What, have you, did you pay any attention to the ad, I think it was West Virginia, uh, this, this campaign in which the people who were sort of playing a part of this bunch of good old boy rubes were actually yeah. actors from yeah. another state. Yeah, and then it came out that the candidate had, uh, with the ad, ad uh, the guys that they had hired to do their ad, the ad company had put out a casting call um, for Hicks. Hicks. Hick, hickey looking guys, you know, <laughs> we want this to be hickey looking, you know, you know, please come to this casting call wearing, you know, your hunting uh, outfits and, and so on. And that really blew up in, in the face of the candidate who's, I can't remember who it is now. Um, who, um, how, how damaging was it, Charlie, do you think? Well, it certainly threw them off message for a long time, mm -hmm. uh, and there was a reflection in the polls. Uh, he has since recovered some from that, but it really, for two weeks, I yeah. think it was the only issue in the, yeah. uh, And then they got into an issue of whether his wife actually could vote in West Virginia because she was in Florida, yep. and that right. put them further off message. Right. Um, actually, mentions a couple points up. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, Nolan. Um, do you know how much, uh, approximately, the, uh, the $4 billion was spent on broadcasting? And uh, mm. follow up on that, doesn't the FCC have uh, ample authority already <coughs> to require of all uh, broadcasters to provide free access to legally qualified candidates for elective office? And if they were to do that, wouldn't it minimize the negative impact of Citizens United? That's a very good uh, question. I think the answer to the first part is the vast majority. I don't know um, how you know how much of the four billion. I, I think that it's you know even though political ads are um, at a lower rate than Pepsi Cola or other other uh, commercial products on the air, there's a whole lot of advertising, and I think the vast majority is going into that as opposed to uh, direct mail or door-to-door uh, -door campaigning, especially in national campaigns. So there's not a lot of that. Um, and yeah, the FCC um, is required to provide, um, the, the, the television stations are provided to, are, are required to provide uh, airtime to any candidate who can pay for it. I don't think it's free. 
No, there's an equal opportunity rule that yeah. one gets it, the other one should get uh, equal time. But what I'm asking is, as a condition of license as a public trustee, the FCC can require conditions. Mm -hmm. and one of the conditions could be uh, free advertise, uh, free airtime for legally qualified candidates during the term right. of the campaign. Well, you know, they sure haven't. Um, I know they haven't. Yeah. Um, and, you know, again, in this, in this, with this court, and I wouldn't even say with this court because, you know, the very first uh, Supreme Court decision that affected campaign ads was Buckley v. Vallejo, which was 1980, quite a long time ago. Different, totally different Supreme Court, but that was the first, you know, sort of edge money of the wedge speech. where they said that money equals speech. Um, and <coughs> once you go down that path, restrictions on speech, anything that looks like uh, a campaign ad, um, you know, any kind of limits, individual states try to have campaign limits or any of that stuff um, really has to pass a high bar. And the folks at the FCC are not. Yeah, but um, this would level the playing field this, uh, and make it uh, easier for those without the money. Some stations have done that. Yeah. Uh, there are instances where markets have done that. Uh, but what, what they haven't <coughs> done, which is, I think, more important, is that they haven't offered them free advertising. What they've offered them is half-hour chunks in, in basically low-viewing uh, low periods. So God bless you if you're willing to sit there and listen to a half an hour of so-and-so running for Congress. Uh, some stations have done this, but the ads are seen by many more people. They're seen in smaller chunks uh, because attention spans are short, and that kind of thing has not proven effective in countering now, again, it's in isolated instances, but the ratings for those kinds of programs, because they give them, you know, half an hour or ten minutes, are very, very low. But that idea actually works perfectly in Germany, where that is exactly what's happening. Mm -hmm. um, we actually have free airtime, any legally qualified candidate, and get small chunks of airtime. I mean, this is right, these straight up ads, free airtime. Mm -hmm. uh, so <coughs> it, it does work in, in, in other... And, and it would be effective, I think, if you would give them, you know, free 30-second ads, uh, in in programs of high uh, that are Prime highly time. viewed, but you know your my responsibilities to my stockholders. That you, you mm -hmm. know, Charlie, how much do the television networks? Nothing. <laughs> all the it's all local. It's all local. We lose. As a matter of fact, we not only lose money, uh, we lose millions and millions. Of, we I don't work for them, but yeah. they lose millions and millions of dollars. Uh, even but in don't the O and O's get. Yes, the ONOs get money. The ONOs oh, get no. money, but that's their oh, money. Uh, Richard, that's their money. Not it does not go to the networks. It goes to the local stations. And yes, the, the networks own them, but, but basically it goes to the, the networks. Don't profit much. And and this is even true now in presidential elections, which used to be cash cows for the networks, but because now presidential elections are decided in what six states, seven states. Um, all the money goes into those states, and there is no national advertising anymore. With some, a couple exceptions, Obama bought a half hour uh, nationally, but it's very small. Right. But Charlie, on, in local stations, um, isn't it true that in election years it can be as much as 20, 25 percent of their total revenue for the year oh. because of demand? It's oh. a huge percentage. Um, I mean, it's all yeah. of their advertising for three months, and it is a huge percentage on any election year. Tremendously profitable. And Even it would make the no NAB an adamant opponent of a change in the oh, absolute, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Stations but would go to, I mean, the, to the It's man. their profit. It's a just about 100 percent of their profit in election years. With the public trustees. I know. Just what, the same. How much, how much newspaper advertising is done? No. Um, Very little. 
Negligible. Yeah. Really? Very yeah. little. I mean, you can see, uh, you know, I don't think we had some ads in the Globe um, for the ballot questions, um, but we had no, uh, there were no campaign ads for the candidates. Don't even go that after I can think of because they know they can't get it. Yeah. The, you know, online on the website, there's a ton of, of yep. the candidate ads. Um, but the, you know how cheap those ads are, and um, you know it's like I don't even know what they are, but they're uh, you know uh, just a t small fraction of what the same ad cost in the actual hard copy papers. I think for ABC, Alex, the 2008, I saw some figures on it. I don't remember exactly, but it was about a nine and a half million dollar loss. Coverage of the election versus yeah. network advertising. Karen? I was just <coughs> wondering, you know, you said that there's no definitive word on their effectiveness, but surely there must be some studies that are better than others. And I was just wondering what the most scientific, most reliable studies show about their effectiveness. I'm sorry, you're asking the wrong person. I haven't, I really haven't made a study of, of the studies. Um, so do you know if anything's authoritative <coughs> out there? No, I have not. Nothing that I've found. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's, there's they're two all over the map. There's two schools of thought. Right. I mean, school number one is Shanto Iyengar and, and right. going negative, which is the experimental stuff, which says, look, if you expose people to X minutes of negative ads, it'll decrease turnout, and it'll decrease turnout, most importantly, among the constituencies that are most important for the Democrats, meaning female voters, younger voters, and so on and so forth. But that, of course, is a forced exposure, right? Because who sits there and watches three, three minutes of negative ads? And then the other school of thought is all survey-based, which is Ken Goldstein on the Wisconsin Advertising Project. And what they're doing is they're looking at, at they, they first take out the variance that's accounted for by the market, meaning how, how close is the race, how, how, many, how many candidates, and so on and so forth. And they found that in, in very close races with it can actually increase turnout, yeah. and it can actually help, yeah. um, depending on, on a whole range of other factors. So there's a whole bunch of contingencies. Right. But I think that th those are the schools of thought where the experimental research tends to show you know, potentially very strong effects, and then the survey research shows much more effects that are contingent on the market and where it, where it right. can actually have a, a, a positive kind of mobilizing and I, I think that's a, an important point you make about you know who is mobilized. Um, the you know in those cases where um, turnout is depressed, um, it, it you know may tend to be female voters. Um, you know younger. Well, I don't know about younger voters, but female voters. I've certainly seen that, and, um, and you know poor, less well-educated voters. And maybe um, there's a sort of galvanizing or excitement effect um, for those who. Um, you know, have a particular candidate, um, <coughs> uh, you know, who's challenging the, um, the status quo or something, or has a particularly hot ad. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, it certainly is possible that we'll reach a point where there is such saturation and such clutter, maybe this is the year, because it, it's been inescapable, um, where it just all sort of cancels itself out. Um, but, but I think you have to look at each individual race just to be able to see well, how much how much depends on the quality and the imaginative you know destructiveness mm -hmm. of an ad mm -hmm. itself I mean just essentially how good an ad it is yeah. it has Certainly a lot to the, do with uh, how effective yeah. it is yeah I mean, the ad guys that I've spoken with over the years um, one thing that I, I really haven't seen very much of except for an ad against Barney Frank by uh, Sean Bielot that I don't actually have and maybe some of you do uh, have seen it it's the shows Barney Frank sort of doing this kind of crazy disco dance where they, they do a um, uh, mashup of his, his statements about Fannie Mae and AIG and, and um, with a kind of DJ rap 
strange thing. Um, what what works with that ad is that it's funny, um, and and a lot of ad guys have said to me, when you're going to go negative, you have to. It's most effective if you can do it with humor because it takes a little of the sting out, um, and you know it's risky to do a negative ad because there, some of the the negativity splashes back on you. You know, if you're going to attack um, another person, some of that mud splashes on you. And often in three um, three candidate races, where there are two, especially in primaries, where there are two candidates really going at each other, a third candidate can come up the middle and sort of rise above it and and surprise both of the warring factor factions. You know, so um, using humor is something that that you know makes it a little less risky to go negative, and also people remember it. Um, but I haven't seen a whole lot of it this year, and I think that uh, you know the, the mood of the country is not amused. John, <laughs> uh, yeah. First of all, are there any measures of the percent of ads, well, even in this state, from the mysterious outside uh, groups? And I suspect that it's pretty much leans on the Republican side. Yeah. And if, uh, let's say, the Koch brothers, who were so brilliantly. Uh, portrayed in New Yorker a few months ago, uh, would they only give through the, if they would give through the Republican Governors Association, mm -hmm. right, it would never come out, because if they gave to uh, the, a Baker uh, ad, then it would show up, mm -hmm. right? Right. So that's where a lot of this stuff goes. And do we know who these, most, any of these mysterious people mm -hmm. really uh, are? I mean, the Koch brothers, Koch, Koch however you say it, uh, brothers are obvious uh, 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 fellows, but who else is is in this game? Do we think? Yeah, well, there there are um, again. You know, I, I commend you to the Sunlight Foundation and to um, uh, who else do I look at a lot? Um, Open Secrets, OpenSecrets.org. Um, really terrific. Uh, you know, full time staffs who you know dig this stuff up, and um, they they do have some of the. Um, you know some of the answers to those questions in Massachusetts. I haven't found um, very many of these shadowy, mysterious uh, third-party groups advertising. Most of the advertising I see is you know paid for by um, uh, you know th there's there is one um, Massachusetts group. There's that woman um, <coughs> who comes on. I can't remember what it's called. It's like you know some innocuous the campaign for the Massachusetts future or something, um, which is a Democratic. Uh, third-party group funded mostly by um, unions, um, which, you know, in addition to the corporations, let us not forget, the Citizens United also allows for unlimited union, uh, you know, and uh, anonymous contributions. Um, so I've seen a few of those, uh, but it seems to me that most of the, uh, the third-party groups have been advertising that I've seen in the Boston market have been for New Hampshire races. Um, and I don't know why that is. Massachusetts exceptionalism, uh, you know, it just says that wave does not seem to be uh, The Republican here. Governors Organization could be supported by uh, anyone. I mean, that's a good, probably a good place where the Koch brothers are putting in money. Yeah. I mean, because they don't disclose anything. I mean, or the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. These are two mm -hmm. things which are uh, totally covers for some yeah. people that... Yeah, and you know, the only possible uh, silver lining I can see from this incredibly, uh, you know, ugly barrage is that possibly, because it <laughs> does seem to be balanced on both sides, um, the 
folks in Congress will realize that there's been a monster unleashed, and they will, in fact, in the next session, or maybe even you know, in the lame duck session, um, pass the Disclosure Act, um, which uh, you know they they rejected back in I think it was March. Pass um, the House. Yeah, pass the House in the Senate, um, and and actually get that that done. You know, it's not going to answer everything. There's still going to be a flood of money, but at least you'll be able to trace it. Yes, Richard. Uh, John Tierney is running for re-election with a wife who recently pleaded guilty. Yes. And, uh, there does not seem to be an effective negative, I don't know if I'm call it a negative ad campaign, an informational ad campaign that would actually put Tierney's race in jeopardy. Why is that so? Um, <coughs> He's running as a nut. Well, that would be my answer. <laughs> um, you know, if, if John Tierney had pulled, he's the luckiest man in Massachusetts, um, if he had pulled um, any one of the other Republicans who are running against um, incumbent Democrats this year. It's the first time, as, as long as I can remember, that nine of the ten congressional districts, not out the one here, but uh, nine of the ten congressional districts have Republican opponents. If he had pulled any one of those others, um, he would be, you know, brushing off his resume. Um, but this, this Hudak, who's running against him, is a nut. He's a birther. You know, he ha there are pictures of um, his front lawn with the sign showing uh, President Obama in a Taliban, you know, you know, not a Taliban, a uh, Al Qaeda uh, headdress, uh, and so on. Um, and you know, he couldn't have picked a, a you know a better candidate to run against. Um, and Hudak is not even uh, popular with the with the party. I mean, he's he's such a pariah that there's not even a whole lot of money. Flowing into his race, but would put have thought somewhere out there in America, in one of these Western state, you would think Western groups, representation pack might would, throw some money. What, what's what's happened here? You would think that the terrorism of big money would have found its way to the tyranny race, at least to dust him up and invite him candidates plausible for the yeah. next cycle. What's yeah. I know, and also I actually used the Taliban Diana. It was all yeah, yeah, right. I'm thinking, you know, <laughs> I actually think what's that his position on Viagra for sex offenders? This is for Catholic priests, or I mean, right. what? The interesting thing is how these groups uh, go after how they choose the candidates. That they yeah, that's yeah. Sort of there was, for instance, a concerted campaign. Uh, but with <clears> attempted <throat> scare tactics to get people like Chet Edwards and Ike Skelton. Um, um, even John Dingle uh, mm -hmm. to retire uh, because they thought those districts were winnable right. and said to them, we're going to go after you. I don't know if that happened in the McGovern race or not, but there were, I mean, there were specific people who were targeted in that way and essentially threatened uh, coming into this campaign. Yeah. We will go after you um, uh, in, this, in this coming campaign. Because they see them, uh, Skelton, for instance, and Edwards are both in very vulnerable districts, yeah. uh, both with more than 25 years' experience in the House. Um, and then, once they decide to stay in and to run, then they actually go ahead and, and carry through on their on their targeting. I don't I don't know if it happened in the. I don't think so. I'm not that aware of anyway. And I think you know, Tierney, in fact, is more out of step with his district than many of the Democrats. Yeah. I mean, he's quite liberal, I mean, yeah. super liberal. Um, and, uh, you know, the North Shore up there is pretty, yeah. you know, it's horsey country. No, I, was just, I mean, <laughs> I just thought you Republican. as a Massachusetts political follower could explain yeah. how this one has missed. I, I really think it's because uh, Hudak is just, I mean, he's not as bad as, you know, Christina O'Donnell probably. He's not a witch. No, but I'm a little, yeah. a little different. Yeah, but, but I'm I, asking you this question, which is, not that somebody thinks that Hudak can win against Tierney, but that you'd want to pummel up Tierney mm -hmm. badly now. For next time. 
for yeah. next time yeah. so that you could yeah. find a sentient I think, Republican I think Jerry Neal, this could, is his last term. Oh, Especially okay. if the Democrats lose the House, <clears throat> I think you'll see tremendous turnover, not just Tierney. Oh, I think really? it'll be Barney's last term. I think it'll be Markey's last term. The, Markey will probably run for something higher. Hmm. Um, Barney's 70 years old. I think he'll retire. Barney already said two years ago that this was going to be his, his last, last term. term. Yeah, he yeah. said it long before this happened. Yeah. Chris? Uh, you mentioned the health health care and the health bill. What other issues are floating across? Uh, I mean, what on the economy seems to? Well, you know, the TARP, um, you know, bank bailout. Uh, they, of course, never, nobody ever says that m most of that has been paid back and with, <coughs> with a profit. Um, I see a lot of that. I see um, um, Nancy Pelosi. I mean, she is the boogeyman, boogie woman. Issues. You know, they have just uh, they just throw her name out there. You know, out of context. It's sort of like you know we're reading along and Nancy Pelosi. It's like somebody has Tourette syndrome. You know, they just throw that name out there. Um, you know, she is just an amazing uh, target. And, um, and and she said in interviews, you know, fine, make me the target. You know, I, if uh, I'm not going to you know take it personally, but. Um, uh, and she doesn't even care if some of the, her members, you know, distance themselves from her. You know, go ahead and do that. Um, if it's do what you need to do to get elected, re-elected. Um, so, I mean, I think the, those are the main things. And, you know, there's, um, I mean, you know, President Obama is a is an implicit um, target in a lot of these campaigns, even if his name isn't mentioned directly. Would you, you, you talk think a little bit? I'm sorry. Go ahead. I think there's... I'm really interested in, in whatever studies get done after this election. Mm. Whether any of this campaigning against Obama, to what extent, I shouldn't say any because I think a lot, but to what extent this is racially racially based, and in the Pelosi case, uh, sexism, whatever sexism. it is, sexism. Uh -huh. And, and Barney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, in his, yeah, in his uh, kind of swishy dance that they've got him doing there, yeah. Um, it's interesting, and, and I, I, um... Is that a factor in California? With Meg Whitman? Mm. 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 Well, it's interesting, you've got two women running yeah. in the center. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, it's hard to tell. Women don't generally, you know, uh, use negative ads, but they have in, in some uh, races where there are two. Uh, you know, here in Massachusetts, we have two women running for state auditor. First time ever we've had that here. Um, two women running for constitutional office, and you know they they've they've both been pretty rough on each other. <laughs> but one is a trained auditor. Right? A trained auditor. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know whether you're aware of it. I'll predict last the night, uh, Last night at the Kennedy School, we had what looked to me like a very thinly veiled announcement for a presidential candidacy by Mike Bloomberg, coupled with Joe Scarborough. Uh, they basically came up and made, and, and basically they were not recruited. They they solicited the Kennedy School. They wanted to come up hmm. to make a presentation before the election, and the message was uh, that there needs to be a third way. Mm -hmm. They did not say that they were running. Neither one of them said they were running. They simply said that there needed to be, that both parties were broken and that something needed to be done, and they made the point that governance by an independent would probably, as far as they were concerned, be easier than governing from either party. Mm. I just wondered, <laughs> how yeah, does that land? I, mean, I, I 
think that's a nice theory. Um, but and I, I like Michael Bloomberg. I wish he would run for president, frankly. Um, for, but if he runs as an independent, he'll get 20% of the vote, which is the most that anyone's ever gotten, right? Ross Perot, I think, got 19% of the vote. Um, you know, and he put his zillions into it, and you know, uh, he, he helped made, give he, us. He made know, the point building. that more people now self-describe as independents yeah. than either Republicans yeah. or Democrats, well, and that is growing. In this state, 53%, I think, of the voters are independents or unenrolled, and yet our independent candidate for governor has got, will probably get about, I don't know, 5% tonight? Um, well, he's not Michael Bloomberg. You know, Alex, he did. No, but he's a state treasurer. He's a somebody. Looking at this in, in two years ago. Mm -hmm. right. and, mm -hmm. and basically determined, I mean, He's a very practical guy, and he won't do it honestly unless I, be, I believe, mm -hmm. unless he thinks he can win. Mm -hmm. And I think he came to the conclusion two years ago that he can't. I, th this is certainly his his hobby horse. I mean, this is well, what he rides. All I know is he brought everybody up on his plane to make this presentation <laughs> at the, uh, at the Kennedy School last night. So yeah. you know, it was interesting. It was yeah. very interesting. Uh, yeah, no. <clears throat> well. The uh, Fairness Doctrine was abolished in 1987, but a component of that was something called the Personal Attack Rule, which allowed anyone who was attacked almost immediate response within 24 hours they had to be notified. Right. You think bringing back at least that component of the Fairness Doctrine, the Personal Attack Rule, would lessen negative uh, political act? Yeah, I think it would have an effect. Do I think it's likely? Well, I don't either. No. <laughs> but it was there. No one's got a lot of ideas, yeah. that, uh, yeah. that, uh, yeah. but, yeah, but you don't seem to think they're going to fly. No, it was like yeah. it was like last night with with Michael Bloomberg. I mean, he was he was making the point that, of course, it's not something that's ever worked. It, America's not built for it. It doesn't work. On the other hand, the perception is that he was making, as I recall it, you know, it's never been as broken, and there have never been so many people increasingly identifying themselves. As independence, I think that was the key yeah. piece of, yeah. of data. Nancy, no question, it's broken. I just wanted to put you on the spot, Renee, mm -hmm. and see if you would uh, predict who's going to win the Massachusetts governor's race. I already was put on the spot about that <laughs> earlier, and um, I, I really can't make a prediction on that. I I thought about last week. I thought that um, Duval would get re Patrick would be reelected, uh, reelected, and you know it just seemed that the race had stalled. Um, that Charlie Baker was never able really to get clear shot at Duval Patrick that he wanted. You know he wanted to eliminate uh, Cahill and then get a clear shot at um, Patrick, and that it never really happened. Um, you know the the the, uh, the defection of of uh, Paul Lascoco to Baker. You know kind of messed up Baker a little bit, dirtied him up a little bit, and also had the effect of keeping a lot of attention on Cahill, which is just the opposite of what Baker wanted. It wasn't going Baker's way. I don't think he's run a good campaign. I've known him since he was a graduate student, and um, he's he's not as bad as his campaign. Um, uh, you know, with that stamming with faint praise, but it's true. I mean, he's a better, smarter, better man than his campaign would uh, indicate. Um, but now I feel like uh, over the weekend, I just think that he, that Baker finished very strongly and that um, he's focused on the tax question, which um, for all of the other distractions and, you know, claims and counterclaims, um, taxes always work for Republicans. And um, he's really, you know, hammering home that, that Duvall's going to raise your taxes. He's done it once. You know, he thinks we're on the right path. He'll do it again. Um, so I think... Um, 
You don't. I, I think it's it's could go either way. Really, you, you don't measure Duvall's reversal in fortune to Charlie Gibson's <laughs> debate. Yeah, do, right. do, is that <laughs> brilliantly done. <laughs> <laughs> no. By the way, it was your paper that, that the consortium wanted to get Jill Stein, at least Jill Stein, right, out. and yeah. and also would have liked to have gotten her to Cahill yeah. and the Globe. Yeah, we editorialized um, for keeping them all in. I know. Early Thanks. on in the campaign. Sorry. Richard, last question. I'm told that ABC News commentator Andrew Breitbart yeah. is reporting that Jim McGovern is secretly the love child of George McGovern. The Boston Globe is refusing to report this. Is this true? <laughs> Did Breitbart have a hidden camera? <laughs> Was he present at the birth? Uh, yeah. Okay, well, <laughs> I know. we've got a long day ahead of us, yeah. a long night. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.